And then the second question we ask, we have four questions of conscious leadership. The second question we ask is, can you accept yourself for just being right where you are? When we're below the line, we notice we're in a little state of threat. And we'll find that it's approval, control, or security that's a threat. And we just check. Yeah, my control's at threat. I want to control the person that bumped into me. Hmm. And say, okay, can I accept myself for being right where I am? We're not accepting the bumping into. We're just accepting ourselves for feeling a little fear or a lot of fear, whatever it might be. Hi, it's Leanne Mallory, and you've tuned into Reimagine Leadership, which is a limited series podcast created by Rise Leaders Radio. The idea of this series is to pick out various elements of a program that I developed for Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas called Reimagine Girl Scouts. So in this series, we're looking at different topics and different concepts and exploring those at different levels. Over the course of the program, a key kind of element or organizing principle for us was the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. It was a thread that we pulled throughout the program, studying various chapters, various concepts, and doing book reviews, and even some um, Zoom recordings on the different commitments. So today, we are going to be exploring that. I've got Jim Fallon with me, and he is an executive coach and strategic advisor and does a lot of work with the Conscious Leadership Group, which is the organization behind the book, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. He's going to be our guide or subject matter expert today. So who is Jim Fallon? Jim is an executive coach with CLG. But before that, he was 25 years as uh, a president and CEO of many organizations spanning many different industries. And he's also serves now as a strategic advisor and has a long relationship with YPO or Young Presidents Organization. One of the things that I don't know about Jim is about this transition. So Jim, I'm hoping that we can actually start with, you know, how you made the transition from uh, an executive leading organizations and then into the role that you're currently playing and why you chose Conscious Leadership Group, because I can imagine there's a lot of organizations out there who would love to have you on their roster but you chose this one. So maybe you can start with that and then we'll just move right into the big ideas behind the the book. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great, Leanne. All right, great. Well, welcome. Let us uh, let it roll. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I was really kind of inspired by our first conversation about all the work you were doing with the Girl Scouts in North Texas and sort of threading the 15 commitments into the leadership programs that you have. So I feel excited to be here and talk to you about all those things. So the transition from being kind of a corporate guy to being an executive coach and particularly working with a conscious leadership group, it was uh, about 2015 that the real transition started to spark. Uh, It's almost hard to imagine. It's been, I guess, eight years since then. Um, Time flies, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Quite frankly, that 25 years of being an entrepreneur and leading companies, I was an unconscious workaholic, sort of the classic type A, driving forward, achieving the next thing, but meanwhile, really not paying attention to my family, people around me. I was making poor decisions about who to be in business with. And so 2015 rolled around and I've been doing this for a couple of decades. Uh, I found myself with some health issues. I was scheduled for rotator cuff surgery. My relationship with my business partners was kind of going south. I was Mm -hmm. under a lot of pressure. I was under a lot of stress, although I would have said, I'm not under any stress. Everything's fine. fine. I got this. (laughs) And then I had a three-day period where on a Wednesday morning, I found out I had prostate cancer. On a Thursday morning, I found out I had Lyme disease. And on Friday, my left retina detached. 
Oh, so there was a sort word. of confluence of things. The universe had come in and said, hey, you really need to stop. We've been trying to get your attention here. <laughs> and gratefully and thankfully, I listened. And so that was, <clears throat> let's see, that was June of 2015. By the end of that year, I had exited that company. That was my last entrepreneurial venture and committed to taking a year off to focus on my health. And so I guess the transition had been in place for a while. I had been introduced to the 15 commitments a couple of years before that. I had started meditating. So I was kind of starting to simmer. But then these events really provided. And I'm, I would say that that series of events is probably the best thing that ever happened to me hmm. because it created the catalyst for me to make the transition. So then into 2016, I went, I did a deep dive on mindfulness and emotional intelligence through an organization called Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Uh, by the end of the year, I had been offered a coaching client, which was a surprise to me <laughs> by Diana Chapman, one of the authors of the 15 Commitments. And I had a sudden thought like, wow, I might not go back to corporate life. And then I did a coaching program in 2016, and then I had some clients, and then I did the Conscious Leadership Group year-long program, and the next thing you know, I was off to the races as an executive coach. So I, wait, so when you took your year off, you thought you were just taking a sabbatical, <clears throat> and then you would move back into an executive position. You hadn't said goodbye to the corporate world. That's right. Huh. Yeah, it was actually October before that light bulb really went off. Hmm. So it was 10 months of kind of decompressing before I was really starting to tune into this. I could really be, and even into the next year, I was still telling a story about, oh, all these, you know, coaching things, they'll be accretive if I go back to work. I was still uh, telling that narrative. I was still <laughs> identified, so identified with my former role as business leader. There was a real unwinding and unraveling that was taking place. Yeah, I boy, we could uh, I could spend uh, an hour, I think, just asking you about this. It, it it occurs to me that just what happened with you, and the change that you went to and the through and the change of mind, is mm -hmm. I think uh, is scary for people to think about, and maybe why people don't choose to stop and slow down, because mm -hmm. they might learn that what they're doing isn't what they really want to be doing. And it, it it's disruptive. It can be yeah, disruptive. That's right. And the best thing that ever happened, but you, it, it's, it's still disruptive. It's scary. Yeah. There uh. was plenty of fear, uh, moments of fear that I faced and made it through. Um, and again, you know, I had all these, you know, health catalysts and other things that really supported me in like, I didn't felt I didn't have another choice. Mm. So one of the things I like to do in my work is support people in making moves like that, that will really tune them more into their life's purpose, their zone of genius, um, without having to have all of the things that have, that I <laughs> sort of needed yeah. <laughs> uh, and support people along the way. Yeah. Um, Spare them from the universal two by four, huh? Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you asked, you asked also like why CLG and how did I end up there versus right. some other place? Yes. Um, and that'll probably lead us into sort of discussion about the 15 commitments. Um, but um, for me, there's this distinction we make at Conscious Leadership Group between content and context. Mm -hmm. And it probably it's, it's sort of, um, it's grounding for our conversation. And it's also really the reason that I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Um, in our world, we call content all the things that are happening in life. So in business, you know, we didn't make our numbers. I've got an employee who's, you know, complaining about the same thing over and over. Um, we just got all of this funding and now we don't know what to do. You know, in our lives, uh, my kid is writing on the wall. I bumped into somebody in the parking lot. Uh, I didn't get enough chicken on my chicken salad. <laughs> all these things that we would call content. Yeah. And we can be reactive. And uh, it's our context, how we're being with it. Mm. Are we being reactive? That is what Conscious Leadership Group really puts its attention on. So people come to work with me and with us, and they bring all of their wonderful content. 
And we go straight to how are you being with mm. that content? Mm -hmm. That's your context. And in that, we can see ourselves and see our reactivity. And we like to, over here at Conscious Leadership Group, work with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and in unlocking those things, we believe we can create behavioral change. And as we change our behaviors into the beings that we would prefer to be, we just naturally become better leaders. That's kind of the thesis. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when I think about that orientation, the helping someone with their context, you know, like how they're thinking, the way they're being in life and with life is, is so key because no, then no matter what happens with, with the content in life, mm -hmm. they have the thinking skills or the, the emotional wherewithal to put it into context. So they know how to respond instead of just, like you said, being reactive. So it's, mm -hmm. it's such a key, I, and I even hate to call it a skill, <clears throat> but to be contextual mm -hmm. is, um, is is it's foundational i believe mm -hmm. in all of our the way that we feel about life success or fulfillment etc is is in is in the context space yep i agree with that it's like con it's like not a skill it's almost like it's the journey mm -hmm. like context awareness is a self-awareness journey and that's the journey I'm on. And so by being a conscious leadership group and doing the work that I do, I just get to stay on my journey, uh -huh. tuning into myself, growing in self-awareness, and then playing that back out into the universe in support of others. So that's why I'm a conscious leadership group. Yeah. Thank you. I, can we just go into, because <clears throat> we're in this topic of context, and I know that we'll explore the book in different ways, but the to me, by me, through me, as me is also <clears throat> another context. And in fact, that is one of the first, uh, in addition to just above and below the line, which I know we'll talk about, but that contextual orientation was also really important in this program. It says so much and it's, it's nuanced but it, it's really a really important aspect, I think, of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So there's this model. It's the four ways of leading. Mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like the four ways of being in the world. Yeah. And so there's this idea of to me, which is sort of defined as uh, I experience life as happening to me. So there's a sort of a victim mm -hmm. consciousness. I'm not empowered. I feel like things are happening and there's nothing I can do. It's just the way it is. And so we're sort of in this victim mentality. And then by me is I'm taking responsibility for all the things that are happening in my life. I look out at the content of my life. I look at my results and I have the thought, oh, how did I create the thing that's happening here? And so there's this shift in consciousness from to me to by me that is just taking responsibility. I no mm -hmm. longer see it as happening to me. I see myself as the empowered being who must have created this in some way. I must be contributing to the creation of this because it's here in my life. Those are my results. And the whole book is basically a discussion about different ways to shift from to me to by me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the portal is taking responsibility, which is commitment number one. Radical there responsibility. Are, <laughs> yeah, taking radical responsibility. Yeah, that's right. And then there's two other sort of ways of leading. One is called through me. Another one's called as me. So as we think about these, it's like through me is the portal from by me to through me, we say is surrender. Mm, so now okay. I'm no longer like almost out there doing, 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 but I'm surrendered to mm. what life wants to do through me. Mm -hmm. So living in my zone of genius, being completely on purpose. Sort of when I'm in a through me state, I'm still probably doing a lot, but it doesn't feel effortful. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, would so that be different... like flow? Would would you <clears throat> relate to that as flow? More flow state. More flow state. That's okay. right. When you're in the, the mm-hmm. through me. Mm-hmm. And then as me is like oneness consciousness being in the quantum field. And, you know, I am part of the whole totality and the whole bit. So, you know, very much on the spiritual end of beingness. Um, and again, the whole book is really focused on this to me to buy me mm-hmm. shift. Um, and these these ways of leading aren't really like levels. It's more like in any given day, if we just put a little dot every five minutes on those four boxes, to me, by me, through me, as me, we'd see dots all over the place. And we'd see kind of a scatter plot that has a cloud <laughs> maybe more over the to me space. And then by practicing the way we practice and you know, doing the type of facilitation and coaching we do. The idea is that that scatter plot will start to move mm-hmm. and be more in the by me space. There'll be more through me pieces, but they're not like levels. One of the things <clears throat> that I remember from our first conversation, Jim, is that we were talking about that again, that below and above the line mm-hmm. and that we like, no matter how much work we do, we are always going to have some period, some days more than others, where we are below the line or acting from the to me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, orientation. <clears throat> Someone cuts me off in traffic or, you know, I don't get enough chicken on my chicken salad, you know, right. whatever it is. But there's, I, I know that I don't go through a single day, maybe not even a single <clears throat> hour Mm-hmm. without being in the to me space. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know that we can ever get rid of that. No, but I guess the key is the self-awareness that we build to know that that's where we are. And then how do we make the shift? Do we want to make the shift, et cetera? Mm-hmm. That's right. So this up, this concept of above and below the line, super simple model. Oh and, my gosh, um, so simple. Kind of profound in the way that we use it. So there's a couple of things I want to say about it. First, it's we use it as the portal from content to context. Okay. So you show up, let's say you showed up for a coaching call with me. I'd say, okay, so what's the issue you want to explore today? And you might say, uh, you know, somebody ran into me in a parking lot and then they were, you know, really rude to me and so on. Say, so, okay, that's your content. And I would say, great. What's your uh, context? Are you above the line or below the line around this issue? Hmm. And you'd say, oh, I'm below the line. We have this sheet that you can print out from our website called Locating Yourself. It has the line. Yeah. And it has statements, behaviors, and beliefs that you'd be saying, doing, believing from below the line. So then I would have you tune in. Like, what are the what are the one or two statements on that list that most mm-hmm. resonate for you on, that issue, on this issue? So we'd go through that. And so now you've tuned into your context. Uh-huh. Like this is kind of your recipe for drama around the content we were talking about a minute ago. And one of the things we really want everybody to get is that in any given moment, it's not better to be above the line than below the line. Now, I know that probably sounds like a like a wildly radical concept because what are we even doing here having this conversation if there's no goal to get above the line? <laughs> right. But see, we're playing this self-awareness game. So the name of the game is, where am I? And we like to say that 90% of people are below the line 90% of the time. There's no problem there. And really, if we sort of rest in the knowing that that's what's mm-hmm. happening with all of us all the time, then, you know, everything we see around us, you know, all of human creation, 90% of it, at least, has been created from below the line. So mm-hmm. there's lots of great things that can happen from below the line. But with this model, we get to see, oh, I'm in a little bit of a state of reactivity here. And in that moment, if we don't make it wrong, to be in a little state of reactivity, Hmm. we're more available to learn about ourselves. And if we make it wrong, then, you know, getting bumped into in the parking lot is part of your drama. And then we're saying, oh, shit, I'm below the line. And now 
there's even more drama. Yeah, you're making yeah. it wrong to be below the line. So you're adding yeah. drama to the drama. Yeah. So we like to say, where are you above the line or below the line? And just ask that question all day long, every day. Hmm. And it's no problem to catch yourself below the line. In fact, that's what we're looking for. And then the second question we ask, we have four questions of conscious leadership. The que second question we ask is, can you accept yourself for just being right where you are? When we're below the line, we notice we're in a little state of threat. And we'll find that it's approval, control, or security that's a threat. And we just check. Yeah, my control's at threat. I want to control the person that bumped into me. Hmm. And say, okay, can I accept myself for being right where I am? We're not accepting the bumping into or anything the other person might be doing. We're just accepting ourselves for feeling a little fear or a lot of fear, whatever it might be. And then if we can accept ourselves, we ask our third question, which is, are you willing to shift? And the 15 commitments are basically 15 shift moves. And so mm -hmm. there's a bunch of willingness questions that we'd like to ask that are related to those 15 commitments. And that's sort of how the book weaves in. And then if we're willing to shift, which is, it's okay if we're not, there's lots of learnings to be had from just sort of resting in my unwillingness. If we're willing to shift, then how will we shift? That's our model. And that's how it relates to being above the line and below the line. So the way that we, the, the contextual piece of this is, you know, that second question are you willing to accept? Is that basically mm -hmm. is for me is a way of uh, relieving some anxiety and some struggle and then, and all of the judgment and shame mm -hmm. that might come from recognizing that we were below the line. Mm -hmm. And it feels to me, we don't need more anxiety <laughs> in our yeah. life, you know, and that acceptance is so key. And quite frankly, Jim, I think it's a question that I overlook mm -hmm. uh, in myself and with other people, you know, just moving right from where are you? How do you shift that? But I do think that when that second question is asked and answered, that it provides more resources mm -hmm. uh, for the person because there's a relaxing one of the participants in our program, she tells the story about how she went through the program from a, it was a content context kind of thing where she, you know, in the very first workshop, we introduce above and below the line and we do some work around the drama triangle and the empowerment dynamic, which I know that you um, also, you know, kind of cover a little bit in the book. And she, um, the way that she was organizing or orienting to the content was, I'm wrong. Oh my gosh, they're calling me mm -hmm. out. They're saying this and they're talking to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they <clears throat> pretend like they're talking to the group, but they're really talking to me. And she felt so called on the carpet that she, there was a lot of suffering for her in the first couple of months of the program because she was relating to the content as a kind of a condemnation and she mm -hmm. wasn't ac uh, accepting. And, and so this is a, you know, it, it, this is a big invitation for me, Jim, hearing you explain it this way to make sure that in the next program that we do, mm -hmm. that I'm really <clears throat> focusing on that second question and being able to relax into that because it we come from a much more resourced place when we're in in the mode of acceptance rather than shame or it just causes more reaction mm -hmm. the other way. So true. I love uh, how you're tuning into this, Leanne. Particularly, I think you said that we have a tendency to skip over this piece to get to the yeah. shift. Yeah. And I think you said slowing down. So we do like to slow down at this second question. We like to say, you can't shift what you can't accept. Mm. And we're shifting the context from being below the line in a state of threat and kind of constricted mm -hmm. 
to being in a state of learning, trust. That's the shift. It's mm-hmm. not about the content. It's about our context. Mm-hmm. And until we've accepted ourselves for being right where we are and feeling scared, we're not really available for the shift. So we don't actually go on to the third question if somebody's unwilling mm-hmm. to accept themselves. And there's no problem with not accepting ourselves. There's lots of learning to be done. Sometimes on some content, I find myself in a state of reactivity. I'm willing to accept myself for being scared. And other times I'm not. And there's learning to be done. Mm-hmm. I did a good bit of studying at the Strozzi Institute and Richard Strozzi mm-hmm. Heckler. And they would call this moving from like question one to three without that middle, you know, like, mm-hmm. can you accept it? it you know, basically applying another contraction on top mm-hmm. of a contraction. So if you realize you're above the, uh, you're below the line and you contract around, you're contracted around it, but you just move to, you know, the shift you've, you've just, you've, you're compacting the thing, you know, That's like right. it's in concrete, you're solidifying that whole idea. And so, uh, boy, I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you. The <laughs> light bulbs are really going off. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, one more piece I want to say is that like, if it's not better to be above the line than the below the line, then what are we doing here? I imagine mm. some people listening yeah. might be having that question. Yeah. Like, then what is the point? And what I want to say is, in any given moment, it's not better or worse to be above or below the line. So in the present moment, where am I? Just as accurately as we can locating ourselves. But then I guess the carrot is, here's my experience and what I experience with others, is that by practicing in this way, like I have clients literally carry this carry this sheet around with them and then <laughs> I just pull it have out to stop and say and, and just check oh yeah that's how I'm that's how I'm below the line just uh-huh. to get really aware and familiar with that practice because when we go below the line getting triggered basically we can go frequently we can go to a certain depth we can go way below the line mm-hmm. really triggered I'm sure everybody's familiar with that and yeah. we can stay <laughs> below the line for a long time yeah yeah So here's my observation is that by practicing in this way and growing in self-awareness and learning how I go below the line and seeing myself more and more clearly over time, which I'm just continuing to do, I go below the line less frequently. I don't Mm -hmm. go as far below. Mm -hmm. I don't stay there as long. Mm -hmm. I catch myself more quickly. So those are all things that are kind of like emergent properties of this practice of locating myself accurately in the moment all the time. So in the moment, yeah, we're free to just be however we're being. And we talk about tells, like what are your tells mm-hmm. when you are either, you know, wherever you are. And when you were talking about, um, you know, going deeper in this to me state or victim state, the, like my, for me, you know, I get smaller, I get more like contracted, my breath shortens, mm-hmm. my heart rate goes up. And so sometimes even if I don't cognitively know that I'm in a reactive mode, my body is telling me. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about, can I accept it? what I felt in my body was relaxation and space Mm -hmm. and a, a hope for like looking for possibilities. It's more of a generative, you know, so when I relax, I can start, you know, I like literally pick my head up and can start looking into a future and into more possibilities. And then that creates, there's some chapter in here, in 15 commitments that talks about energy and like how we're blocking, how we're, you know, we're blocking and in the to me state, oftentimes the energy is blocked. It may feel kind of good at the time because there's a lot of maybe adrenaline, you know, that's that's coursing through the body Mm -hmm. and it's a 
powerful, reactive. It's a strong <clears throat> feeling that can be addictive, especially if you're in the mood of like persecuting or blaming or telling other people why it's wrong or telling someone off that feels kind of powerful and it can be addictive, that powerful feeling, but it's not a spacious feeling and it's not centered on possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You touched on a lot of things there. Commitment <laughs> six is the commitment about energetic wholeness, Okay, which is kind of our definition of integrity. Okay. There is definitely addiction to below the line states mm -hmm. and below the line states. We do get payoffs. One of the payoffs can be, I feel enlivened by my adrenaline. Yes. Uh -huh. So I repeat it. You find that when we're below the line, we're catching our behavioral patterns. So I often hear a client say at some point during a session, oh my God, I'm doing this everywhere. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> of course, because we're just in our pattern. Yeah. So we're doing yeah. it at whatever we're doing at work. We're doing it with other relationships elsewhere in our lives. Yeah. Get down to that level. Now we're talking about something we can really work with. Uh-huh. So one thing that I want, I was started to interrupt you earlier, um, you, you're holding up, you keep holding up your paper that has mm -hmm. the line and all that. And I know that people are listening and they can't see your piece of paper, but it is a well-worn and tattered piece of paper that I believe you have carried with you to a lot of different places. <laughs> it is, it is well used. And like you said, I, I will put a link in the show notes for people to get their own piece of paper to carry around with them so they can right. self-identify. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah. Lots of resources available on the Conscious Leadership Group website available yeah. for use. Yeah. So <clears> we <throat> talked about commitment six. And when you and I first spoke, you mm -hmm. described the arc of the book and how the, the commitments evolve. Can you talk about that here? I I had not seen the commitments in quite that way. And it really mm -hmm. was, was another great context. Yep. So the first six commitments are kind of like a capsule on their own. And actually, one of the things we do at Conscious Leadership Group is we offer these things called conscious culture programs for organizations that are interested in bringing this work into the organization. And it's it's like a close to a year-long program that focuses only on the first six commitments. So oh, I'll lay really? those out. A whole year just on the first six. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I keep learning more and more about myself as I go through them uh, repeatedly. Uh, it's really fun. The first two commitments are taking responsibility. We talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. And curiosity. I commit to living a life of curiosity, experiencing awe. The first one is often related to letting go of blame and criticism. So I'm taking responsibility versus blaming others or blaming myself for the situation, starting to see myself as more empowered. And then the second one, curiosity, is letting go of being right. Hmm. Like So when we're below the line, there's something that we're kind of holding on to righteously, kind of like anchoring into our position, confirmation bias for those of you who know what that's about, yeah. like starts to come in. So commitments one and two, really, if you can just get commitments one and two downloaded, uh, can be a complete shift in life, mm -hmm. taking responsibility, letting go of being right, uh, and living in a state of awe. Mm -hmm. The third commitment is feeling our feelings all the way through to completion. So we like to think of the body as being a source of great wisdom, that there's a gut center of intelligence, there's a heart center of intelligence, and then there's our mental center of intelligence. And that emotions move in and on the body. They arise when they arise. And if we can become the beings that can just let those flow as they arise, it's typically like 30 to 90 seconds for the emotions mm -hmm. to flow through if we're not getting hooked on our stories, that there's real wisdom that is available to us. And each emotion has its own wisdom question to ask. And so that's part of this 15 commitments model. And so commitments one, two, and three are really looking internally. It's really, mm -hmm. I'm working on myself. Commitment uh, four, five, and six, we're still working on ourselves, but we're now we're starting to include others. Mm -hmm. So commitment four is I commit to living a life of candor. So now it's being the being that's willing to reveal myself to others in my relationships, even when it feels scary, 
And am I doing it from below the line or above the line? And so continuing to practice what's my context mm -hmm. as I reveal. And there's this way in which now we're being, we're using radical candor to be in relationship with others. So we've started taking responsibility, letting go of being right, feeling our feelings. And now we're in relationship. Commitment five is uh, letting go of gossip. So I'm no longer going to be one who talks about others in a way that I wouldn't talk about about them if they were present and also not being a space where other people can do that. Mm -hmm. And then commitment six is kind of the capstone. And this one is living a life of integrity. Mm -hmm. So integrity for us is energetic wholeness. And this is how it ties these first ones together. So to be an energetic wholeness, I need to be taking responsibility. So it kind of includes some of the prior commitments taking responsibility for all of the things in my life. So anywhere that I'm blaming or criticizing and not taking responsibility is a place where I'm leaking a little energy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any place where I haven't felt feelings that are wanting to be felt going all the way back to childhood, where have I suppressed or repressed emotions anywhere that I am not in congruence with my feelings, I'm leaking a little bit of energy. And then candor, anything that I'm withholding from you or others, those are places where I'm leaking a little bit of energy. Mm -hmm. And then in commitment six, we also talk about being impeccable with agreements. Any agreement that I've made with somebody else that I'm not keeping, or I'm aware that somebody else has made an agreement with me and they're not keeping anything that I've agreed to for which I don't have a whole body, yes. These are all places where we are sort of out of integrity with ourselves. So we, we did a whole zoom call on impeccable agreements mm -hmm. because this is such a rub in, in, in many relationships when things break down very often. I mean, all four of those, the pillars of integrity are important. And this is a place that people go unconscious with their That's agreements, right. I think. Yeah. We like to, we like to, we, we observed that about 60% of agreements in organizations are not kept or uh, not clear. So it's a real place that a lot of energy can be recaptured. So if you think about it, one of the metaphors we'd like to use is like a rowboat that has a lot of holes in it. And the holes could mm -hmm. be not taking responsibility for certain things, not feeling certain feelings, not saying things to people that I'm withholding, not keeping my agreements. So the first six commitments are really focused on clearing up all those places, plugging all those holes in the rowboat mm -hmm. So we can have more energy. Yeah. And then the rowboat is completely repaired and we can put our energy into rowing. And so then what do we do with all this extra energy? And then we move on to the following commitments. Commitments seven, eight, and nine are about appreciation, living in our zone of genius, which is like living on purpose and play. Hmm. Those are the next three. And then once we're sort of living that way, then there's more commitments to explore even deeper ways of being in the world. And uh, those go into uh, almost a deeper spiritual way mm -hmm. of being. I noticed that there's CLG is giving a lot of attention right now to the zone of genius work. It seems that mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of that. And that was uh, that this was the zone of genius, that particular topic was one of the final things that even though we had read the whole book, we came back in our very last, we had the groups broken into cohorts mm -hmm. and they shared their zone of genius in their very last cohort call, which was really emotional because that's another thing that I think that we don't do is own our zone of genius and mm -hmm. really play to that and realize you know, we're, we are often so focused on what's wrong mm -hmm. that we don't really tap into what's not just what's right, but it's almost like a birthright. You know, mm -hmm. when we come into the world with these specific traits and characteristics and skills mm -hmm. and all of that, and that was a really meaningful practice for the groups to do with each other is to share and own, like to say, here's my zone of genius. And to, and to say that it was a, it was an emotional call for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zone of genius is really fun. It's one of the places I work with probably the majority of my clients on. I also want to give credit to the Hendricks Institute, Gay Hendricks, 
um, you know, the big leap was the book that he wrote that identified zone of genius as an area okay. to focus on. In fact, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I think all of the 15 commitments, nothing is new. It's things are brought in from Byron Katie, from the Hendricks Institute. What's really unique about the 15 commitments is the way that it's all organized. Yep. Right. The drama triangle comes from Cartman. And so all of these models are woven together in a way that allows for this content to context shift into greater self-awareness to be really accessible Mm -hmm. at many levels of uh, self-awareness. Well, the other thing that I would say about the book, there's so much that I love about it. I think it's very generous and it's, it, it is not trying to have people read the book and say, okay, you're doing everything wrong. We know the right way and here it is. So it's a very generous book. I think that the above and below the line, like you said, is so simple, but it's really powerful in that simplicity. I mean, it's, it's just really easy uh, to think about. And throughout the book, there are, you know, for each chapter, there are practices Mm -hmm. that people can do and there's a summary. And so the whole book is just so well laid out. And then if you go to the website or even just Google on, or look on YouTube, there are different videos and on the website, there are all kinds of resources, Mm -hmm. including the one that you have folded and tattered and (laughs) dog-eared and and all of that. So there's a real spirit of generosity, I think, as with with this whole body of work as well, that I really appreciate it. it it's, it's hard, those first chapters. And I remember when our groups, our leaders were reading like radical responsibility, there was a little like, what do you mean? Um, mm-hmm. Am I responsible for X? Am I responsible? Well, it's like, no, you're not responsible for the way things happen but we're all responsible for how we respond to it. Some of the topics can be, uh, they're not harsh, but they really force you to look at yourself. Um, One of the other commitments that we spent some time on was exploring the opposite. And that's Byron Katie's work. That's right. And while we were going through that together, I realized, you know, where I was in a story about someone, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and that we all like, whatever it is that we, are upset about, we can almost always find ourselves on the, you know, on the other end of, of the spear. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was compelling. Yeah. You're pointing to something that's subtle, but, but it comes up almost always in uh, corporate programs and our online classes. And that is, there's something really uncomfortable about taking radical responsibility for what's happening in our lives. And so I agree with you. There is a, there is a piece where we can take responsibility for how we respond, but we even take it further and we say, we take responsibility for what's happening. We take responsibility for the thing that we're actually complaining about. So I was sitting on the couch with my girlfriend the other night and I thought we were going to be hanging out and she was actually doing work and like not available. Uh-huh. <laughs> so over about a five minute period, I noticed myself going below the line and getting triggered. And I was, of course, blaming her for not holding up <laughs> our agreement that we were going to do something together. And then I caught myself and I'm like, oh, I'm below the line and my control is at threat. Maybe a little approval. So I was sort of tuning into that. And can I accept myself for being right there? And then ultimately I get to how did I create a girlfriend who's doing her work when we had an agreement to be doing something Mm. together? And then I can do this exercise we have called teach the class. Okay. (laughs) And I could teach you and say, don't make a clear agreement on what we're going to do when we get back to my house. Uh When she grabs her computer on the way out the door and says, I just have a little bit of work to do. Skip right over that. And don't imagine that that means when we get to my house, start to get angry about it and don't say anything, uh-huh. just sort of sit and stew. So this is my, like, here's how I created it. Uh-huh. And so in this way, I'm taking responsibility for what appears to be something somebody else is doing. 
And that is a big shift move that we use a lot. How yeah. am I co-creating the thing that I'm complaining right. about? Right. So in our coaching, I would say, I'm committed to having a girlfriend who, you know, ignores our agreement and does work instead of hanging out, which doesn't sound like what I'm really committed to, but that's what <laughs> right. I, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so we own our results. So this, we do this over and over and over in all of our programs. And, and sometimes people get reactive and they're like, Hey, hang on a second. I'm not the one doing that. And so it is edgy. It is edgy. Yeah. It can be really edgy. And so, yeah. and I just want to clarify what you're saying, because I think that teach the class is such mm -hmm. a novel concept because we then have to study ourselves you know, mm -hmm. like here, if you want to blame your girlfriend for doing work when you thought you were going to be together, here are all the things that you would need to do. Mm -hmm. You would need to not be clear about what you wanted to do that evening. You would have to ignore the fact that she, you know, grabbed her computer. And so it, it gets to be kind of playful, you know, totally. it's so playful, but it also breaks down all of the things that I uh, conveniently ignored or were unclear about for whatever reason. And then we get to explore, why was I unclear about that? Why mm -hmm. didn't I say something when I saw her grab her, her laptop? Thank you for uh, providing an example that we can be pointing to here, but we've all got plenty of them that yeah. I could, you know, I could back up and say, oh, what were all the, what were all the clues that I missed or the the areas of opportunity like decision points that i made that were contributors to how i'm responding right now yeah i love it it's, yeah it is playful like we often have people give their class a title a funny <laughs> title and then be like the professor of the class yeah and it becomes hilarious and then people are like oh God, i i really am doing all these things uh -huh. yeah. and this is the moment often when somebody says i'm doing this everywhere Mm. And so like, for me, it's like, yeah, I have a pattern of skipping over little things that I notice and just hoping they'll work out. So then I get to reveal all of that and be in relationship with her. It turned out to be a beautiful conversation. And nice. I was totally below the line about it. <laughs> yeah. That's what we yeah. do. <laughs> um, I am so happy that you and I got connected and I'm hoping that I, I always imagine that when I'm recording a podcast that hopefully people are out there listening. And I listen to a lot of my podcast on when I'm out walking or putzing around the house. Usually I'm walking through the neighborhood. So I'm imagining people walking through their neighborhoods, listening and, and kind of smiling and getting a chuckle and maybe a quizzical look on their face. Like, Oh, I wonder where I did that. So I'm, I think that this conversation has likely been really thought provoking for people who are listening. And I want to thank you for uh, taking a chance and, and being with me here today. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. What, you know, we, we've mentioned the resources online. Is there um, anything else, Jim, that you want to say about yourself or Conscious Leaders Group, Leadership Group? Is there an event or anything coming up that you'd want people to know about? Mm -hmm. uh, sure. Thank you. So the website is at conscious.is. So conscious.is. And like you were saying, there's a resources tab that has it's organized by commitment, if you want to look at it that way. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of sort of free resource meditations, handouts, videos. It's, it is a really generous mm -hmm. place for finding lots of really fun resources and helpful resources. There's also sort of a, you can find out about all the different kinds of work we do on one of the other tabs there. So we do one-on-one -on -one coaching. We do uh, these conscious culture programs I had talked about before and uh, various other modalities of delivering this work. We also have some online classes that are um, offered. There's uh, one called a taste, which is like 30 people doing mm -hmm. a deep dive together for a five hour chunk. Uh, those happen monthly. And then there's a thing called intro to conscious leadership, 
which is an hour and a half a week for four weeks. They're similar, just different delivery modalities. And those are really great entry points for anybody whose curiosity has been piqued and they also want to come and explore more. And you lead some of those mm-hmm. um, those webinars. And my colleague those, Kate um, Hudson and I will be doing an intro to conscious leadership starting, I believe, first or second week of July. Okay. So the signups right, are great. available now for that one. All right. Fantastic. This has been delightful. I agree. Thank you so much. And yeah, uh, visit Jim. I'll have all of the links in the show notes to Jim and to Conscious Leadership Group. And I hope everyone will pick up the book and do some exploring as well. It's uh, very, very thought provoking. Uh, As I was, one other thing, as I was looking through the book again, just preparing for our conversation, I have so much underlined and I imagine the next time I go through the book, I'll underline different parts of it. It's just really, really well done. So um, thank you. Thank you again for your time today and uh, look forward to our paths continuing to cross. Me too, Leanne. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, this is part of a Rise Leaders Radio limited series podcast called Reimagine Leadership. There are several additional episodes focused on various aspects of a seven-month practice and cohort-based program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I've included links to various topics that we've discussed, and you can find those in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to listen to the last episode in this series where we'll be reviewing the results of the program, what we learned, and how we're thinking about our next steps. In addition to curating leadership programs like this, I also offer executive coaching and strategic approaches to leadership and team development. Please reach out to me via the contact information on my website at www.rise-leaders.com. And by the way, Rise Leaders Radio is on YouTube now, and this is probably the best way for you to leave comments or engage in a conversation with me regarding this or any of the episodes. And of course, finally, if you found this episode useful or interesting, please share it with others and leave me a nice review. Thank you so much. And remember that you have the power to elevate your part of the world.